everyone. Welcome back to it here in Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. Today, I have Dr. Clay Jones. We're going to be talking about the question of, is God immoral? And looking at the conquest of the Canaanites and seeing what's going on here, especially with related to questions regards to ethics and God. Uh, so, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm, I'm well, and I'm glad to be with you, Zach. And I do think this is an important topic, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about this because it's very important. And it's been like a series of like videos that we've been doing on our channel, looking at different views and like trying to understand everything going on here because it's very important. So before we get into like the heavy stuff today, can you just, do you want to just like introduce yourself? Tell us like who you are, what you do, well, and what got you interested in like topics like this, Dr. Jones? I, uh, well, I'm a visiting scholar at Talbot School of Theology. I, my focus is on evil, death, and suffering and everything and anything related to that. I have a book over here. Oops. I have a book over here entitled Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. So a book on death. And then I have a book over here entitled Why Does God Allow Evil? Um, and I'm writing a book on suffering. Uh, and uh, so I, I and the Canaanites, you think people may wonder if that how that might be related to the Canaanites. But because one of the questions you have to answer if you're going to talk about why God allows evil is if God is good, why does it appear that he ordered so many bad things regarding the Canaanites. I also, by the way, talk about crusades, inquisitions, witch hunts, Nazi Christians, slavery, and all those things too. So I talk about anything and everything that's in any way really uh, re related to the problem of evil. And so that's what I do. Yeah, super cool. And you got your hands in everything. Um, so we're going to be talking about, you've written like a series of blogs on the topic and you have a couple yes. of like articles published with regards to this question of like right. the conquest of the Canaanites. So the first thing I wanted to talk about with you is like, when we're looking at the conquest of the Canaanites, one of the important things you seem to emphasize in your work is understanding one, like the nature of our sin and two, the nature of like the holiness of God. Uh, so as we dive into this, like how do these things play a role in looking at the conquest of the Canaanites? Well, if you go back, and this relates to the larger problem of evil, is what's God doing in the universe? And I think what God's doing in the universe, one of the major things, one of the key things that he's doing in the universe is he's revealing to us exactly how evil creatures can be that decide to rebel against him. And the answer to that is very evil. Uh, and so uh, when it comes to the Canaanites, the question is, so why did God order the destruction of the Canaanites. And when it comes to God's holiness, that's an abstract comment. Uh, yeah. It's not a wrong comment. I'm not saying by any way, it's not wrong. I'm just saying it's abstract. Mm -hmm. Every rape, every torture, every murder, uh, all the hideous things that people have done to one another is because they've decided to rebel against God. All of it. Uh, and so, you know, it's like, because you can get off into this abstract sort of sense, well, God is holy and he can't put up with sin. All of the rape and all the tortures and all the murders and all the wars and all the terrible things that have ever happened in the history of the world or one way or re another resulted in uh, creaturely rebellion against God. Now, when it comes to the Canaanites, uh, the Canaanites were, you know, in my, I, I have an article, and and you can find this online if anybody wants to Google it, entitled "We Don't Hate Sin, So We Don't Understand What Happened to the Canaanites." That's a nine thousand word article, and it came out in a philosophy journal called Philosophia Christi, and you can get it online. Google "We Don't Hate Sin, So We Don't Understand What Happened to the Canaanites," and you'll find that article. And in it, I document 
the sins of the Canaanites from their own primary source documents. It was, in, I think it was the 1920s, a guy was plowing a field in Palestine and he hit this rock and he turned it over. And in it was a, a library of Canaanite primary source documents. Uh, and I brought those to my wife as a stack. I checked a stack out and I brought them to my wife and I, I said, read these. And she was excited about it because you'd have to know my wife. She likes reading uh, just about anything. And, and, and reading Canaanite myths was exciting. I said, and mark the places where it's really gross. So I'll put it in my article. Um, but the, the reasons that God ordered the destruction of the Canaanites is, is, is actually pretty simple. You find it in Leviticus chapter 18. He lists them. You know, it starts off with do not commit incest. And he spends a number of verses explaining what incest is. And then he says, don't commit adultery. And then, uh, <clears throat> he says, um, uh, don't, um, um a man shouldn't have sex with a man as a woman or as he does with a woman. Uh, in other words, homosexuality. And then he goes into and mentions bestiality and, and then, uh, and then offering your children to Molech. I missed that. That was after the heterosexual sins, which was Molech was a bullheaded God in whose out and he, he had a human like body and in his outstretched arms, you could place a, a child that was burned to death and people were offering their children to Molech. Now here's the thing. Before that guy uncovered that rock and found all those documents, liberal Christians' comments, their, their reaction was, well, that wasn't really true. They really weren't that bad. Uh, you know, I mean, but now uh, we've got this documented. This is documented. They did all these things, and they did them a lot. And I'll just give you something that I found from uh, W.F. Albright, uh, it's not to him. I mm -hmm. quote the source where you can get it from. But anyway, he mentioned this is what first got me going on what's really going on with the Canaanites. He said he, um, he, he there's a Canaanite epic poem where Baal raped his sister while she was in the form of a calf 77, even 88 times. So in that Canaanite poem, we find that Baal raped his sister while she was in, a, as, in the form of a calf a lot. The, thus the 77, even 88 times. It's just he did it a lot. So the Canaanites were able to com combine rape, incest, and bestiality into the same act. Uh, and that was their God. That was their God. People tend to ape their gods. And uh, the Canaanites aped their gods. And in that, in my We Don't Hate Sin article and in other articles and in my blog, I go through and document the kinds of sins that the Canaanites committed because they committed all these sins. Incest was rampant in Canaanite culture. In fact, there's Egyptian dream books, uh, for instance, that say, and the, by the way, I should say about Leviticus 18, he begins it by saying, all of these sins were committed by the people of the land that I'm bringing you into. And all of these sins were committed, you know, and then he ends by saying, these are the sins that were committed by the land I'm taking you into. And if you commit these sins, I'm going to drive you out too. So anyway, uh, so they, I mean, they're incredibly evil uh, and rape, incest, and bestiality. When it came to uh, uh, bestiality, uh, they, having sex with animals was rampant. Uh, in this, I mentioned this Egyptian dream book and in this dream book, and by the way, in Leviticus 18, it says all these sins were committed by the land I'm taking you out of, namely Egypt. And all these sins are committed by the land I'm taking you into the land of Canaan. 
Uh, for instance, if a woman had a dream about having sex with a man, the dream book says that's a bad omen. That's not, that's a bad thing that she would have dream about having sex with a man. But if she had a dream about having sex with a wolf or a goat or something like that, that was considered a good omen. Um, and same with a man. It says in the dream book, it says if a man had a dream about having sex with a woman, that's a bad omen. But and it goes off and lists different kinds of animals. But if he had sex with these different kinds of animals, that was a good omen. Uh, and so, and also if a woman had a dream about having sex with, uh, you know, I mean that men and women, if they had dreams about having incestuous sex, like for instance, it said it was a good omen. For instance, if a, it says if a man had a dream about having sex with his mother, that's a good omen. Uh, so, uh, anyway, the bottom line on this is that this was the sins of the Canaanites. And the trouble is, as you mentioned, Zach, I, the trouble is in my article, I go on and point out the trouble is in our society, th these things really don't offend us. Mm -hmm. And because they don't offend us, we have a tendency to go, you know, I mean, in fact, I'm checking out this big stack of books from the Biola library. And there was a, a 19 year old, I'm going to guess she was 19 year old blonde girl behind the counter uh, and a freshman or sophomore at the oldest. And uh, I'm checking these stack of Canaanite primary source documents out. And she says, uh, uh, and she says, uh, she says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm writing about why God ordered the destruction of the Canaanites. And she said, I've always wondered about why he did that. And I said, well, they were committing widespread uh, rape, incest, bestiality. They were offering their children up to a gold, uh, bullheaded idol named Molech. And I go through and, and list these all out. And I'm not kidding you, but in looking at her reaction, she kind of gave me this, I don't know how else to describe it, this sort of blinking, uh, what I would call almost Homer Simpsonian uh, look, you know, like Homer Simpson, kind of like, like she didn't get it. It was like I told her all these things they were doing, and she's like, okay, but, but why is the order in their destruction? And that just shows you how out of touch, frankly, that we are with, with how God regards, well, rape, incest, and bestiality, uh, that, that, these are not things to put up with at all. And so the second, the last third of my article, I talk about how we're inoculated to it. We don't hate sin. The middle part, and by the way, this is important too. Um, the middle part of the art article is I talk about the Lord, the Lord warned Israel in Leviticus 18, and he warned them in other places. If you don't drive out the Canaanites, you will commit the same sins as the Canaanites. And then I'm going to have to come and destroy you. Uh, and that's what the basically the second half of the Old Testament is about the prophets coming uh, and saying, you're now doing the same evils that they did. And I'm coming to destroy you. And he mm -hmm. did. And, uh, you know, in, in 722, the northern kingdoms uh, were basically were taken off by Assyria. Uh, most of the, the overwhelming majority of people were killed. There were a few that were taken to various places in the north. Um, and then in 586, the southern kingdom of Judah was also was destroyed by the Babylonians. Most of the people were killed. Uh, they were deported for 70 years. Enough, it, but this is important because this shows it wasn't genocide, because this that's capital punishment. Because mm -hmm. those that do such things in God's mind, those who commit rape, incest, and be bestiality deserve to die. 
And uh, but we we don't feel that way, of course. We're like, hey, eh, as long as the animal doesn't care, I'm a, you know, why should we get upset with it? So anyway, there's the the overview mm -hmm. of what was going on with all of that. Mm. Yeah, I think that's super helpful to kind of frame the context of like understanding this like um, this question of like violence in the Old Testament and like uh, God's commands. So looking at like the Israelites, then um, what does God command Israel regarding the nature of sin as they're coming into the promised land from Egypt? And how does that can like impact their entry, especially with like relevance to like the conquest of like the Canaanites? Well, you know, it's funny. They kept the Israelites, if you read the Pentateuch, if you read, you know, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, maybe is full of them saying, you know, I, I this is too hard. I didn't know it's going to be too hard. Let's go back to Egypt. Uh, in other words, they were content. Uh, the The first generation was content in being in Egypt. They were like, yeah, okay, these things are going on, big deal. Uh, God basically then destroyed that generation and said, your sons and daughters, they will inherit the land. So he marched to death for 40 years. The Lord marched to death that generation because, frankly, they were too polluted. Uh, then the generation, their sons and daughters came, uh, you know, in charge of the world. And they then uh, inherit, took over the promised land. Uh, mm -hmm. But so anyway, that's that's the that's the gist of that. Mm. Yeah. So one of the things it talks about, like in the biblical narrative is this idea then about like, um, like the Israelites also needing to be like these like holy people that are like apart from sin, right? Is they're entering like the promised land? Right. Well, you know, again, holy is a great word and I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not, and I, you, you're using it right. Uh, but the trouble is I struggle a little bit in talking, in just talking about God's holiness. Yes, mm -hmm. they were to be holy, but holiness means to be set, set apart. And in this context, what it means is don't commit incest, uh, bestiality, uh, homosexual acts, uh, offer your children to Molech, which, of course, we ought, we kill. We suction scrape or scald to death here in the United States. Over 800,000 babies every year uh, were just, you know, like them. In fact, I in a in a panel debate with some atheists once uh, Hugh Ross was on it with me. Um, I, I told the atheists, I said, I think you're complaining about the Canaanites is so disingenuous because you have no trouble. I mean, they were offering their babies to a God named Molech so that their their crops would they, the famine would end. They they wouldn't be destroyed by an enemy and so on. That's why they would offer their babies to Molech. Uh, you think it's OK to suction, scrape or scald to death a baby for choice I wanted a boy. I'm not, you know, it's going to interrupt my career. Uh, so I think that, you know, frankly, I think atheists complaining about these things is, is, is disingenuous. It's dishonest. It's disingenuous. So anyway, that's my, okay. you yeah. know, they, by the way, they struggled with answering that because they do think it's okay to kill a baby for any reason that's, you know, four inches on the inside Right, four inches on mm -hmm. the inside of the of the birth canal. If it's on the outside of the birth canal, well, you know that's terrible. But even though, again, Peter Singer, uh, Princeton philosopher, ethicist, ethicist, Peter Singer says he doesn't think it's a big wrong to kill an infant. Uh, you know, and, and and you even have bills that if the infant, as you know, survives the abortion, it's okay to kill it once it's outside the womb. Uh, 
well, you know, and so here we are. What a mess. Here's here's where we are today. And mm-hmm. this just shows you this is capital punishment the God, that the Lord was enacting against people who were doing these things. I just refer the reader one more time. If you want to see, because my article is kind of the article of all the ones that have been written out there on what the Canaanites were doing. If you want to see what they were doing, go to We Don't Hate Sin, so we don't understand what happened to the Canaanites. Hmm. Yeah, it's the article is very like helpful in trying to understand this because like I, as I was reading the article, I was like, yeah, like this is pretty messed up what the Canaanites are doing, and it's like, yeah. So then, my next question for you, then, Doctor Jones, is with regards to like what do the biblical biblical text say with regards to like the invasion of the the Canaanites? Um, so like, what is God commanding like the Israelites to do when they, they come into Canaan, and then like so like what's going on here is kind of the next. Well, question. The, he, it did the, the he did say, and this is the this is the hard part. He did say, I want you to go into certain towns and kill everything that breathes, including the animals. So that means, of course, that children are being killed. Uh, and so uh, and animals are being killed. And, and so why would he do that? Uh, the, the, the point on the animals is actually very simple. Uh, you do not want animals running around that are used to having sex with children. I mean, adults. You do not want animals running around. Well, they could be having sex with children, too. But you do not want animals running around that are used to having sex with uh, adults uh, and uh, human or a male or female. And I talk about that at some length. You do not want that. In fact, Hittite law 199 says, if a man has sex with an ox, he shall die. You will kill the man for having sex with an ox. But if a man has sex with a horse, there's no penalty. What's that about? Well, you know, I mean, oxen, of course, you, you know, you use them to plow your fields and stuff and you don't want your oxen to be trying to mount you. It's a bad thing. Uh, so you don't want animals around that are used to having sex with humans. And and uh, the, the real hard thing, the real issue is children. Why would God order the killing of children? Well, you had three choices, then uh, just three. Uh, you could uh, allow, just leave them alone after you've killed their moms and dads who have been, you know, I mean, committing all these acts. You could leave them alone to die of starvation or be eaten by animals. Uh, You could adopt them yourselves. The Israelites could adopt them or they could take their lives quickly by the sword. The question is, why couldn't Israel adopt children? And and the answer to that is, is because children will. I write a lot about this in my blog. I've got blog. I've got a blog entitled. Why couldn't they adopt Canaanite children? The trouble is, is they, they're going to bring their culture into the Canaanites. Uh, and that's there's just no way around that. I give a lot of examples of this, of how people are going to bring their culture. One thing that is universal, if you talk to, I, I've been studying this for years, and so I've been very interested when I talk to an adult uh, adopted person, I'll say, you know, I've asked them if they're very interested in their birth parents. I think I've only run into one person one time who was adopted who said, no, not really. I've never been really that interested in getting into it. Adopted children tend to be fascinated and very curious and wanting to know everything that happened uh, with, with their birth parents, who they were, what they did. And so you're going to kill their parents who are guilty of these sins and you're going to bring these children whose parents you just killed into your household. 
And you think these children aren't going to go, so you killed my parents. And what were they doing? How are you going to be able to, you know, you'd have to sleep with one eye open and a sword right in your, in your right hand, because these children, as they get older, they're going to get you. And they're going to be studying because they're going to be curious about the sins of their parents. And they're going to bring those sins into the, into the, into the households. Uh, and, you know, and honestly, girls and boys who have been sexually molested at a young age, oh, they're going to be, well, they're going to be seductive towards their parents and other adults that they know. Um, and, you know, this is something, by the way, that foster parents don't like to talk about. And I won't give any examples, but foster parents have told me about their, you know, children trying to seduce them. The, if the children have been sexually molested, that the children come into their households and try to do sexual things with them. You can't bring tens of thousands of children who have been sexually abused. This is a tragedy, but there's a major point here. And I think I'm thankful to Paul Copan, uh, Matthew Flanagan for this, especially Paul Copan. And this is going to blow some of your viewers' minds away, but it's not always wrong to kill the innocent. And people go, what? What are you talking about? Well, let me just give you one example. Uh, everybody watching this, anyone, we all we all know of 9-11 uh, and where terrorists flew planes into the World Trade Center, into the Pentagon. They were going to fly another plane into who knows what, maybe the maybe the Capitol building, I would guess. I think the guess is the Capitol building, maybe the White House, but probably the Capitol building. Um we sent, what did we do in response to that? Well, we dispatched a plane, uh, two planes. We, we dispatched two jets to knock Flight 93 out of the sky. Why? Because we didn't want it ramming into the U.S. Capitol or wherever their target was, but it was doubtless going to be a big target. Uh, in fact, one of the gals' name was, uh, last name was Penny. I, uh, our first name was Penny. I don't remember her last name offhand, but her name was, and they have, so they go, they, they, they didn't have time to arm these jets. So they sent off a guy flying a, uh, an F-16. They sent off a gal flying an F-16. Uh, he was going to hit the cockpit. She was going to hit the tail. Her hope was that just maybe when she hit the tail that she'd be able to eject and it might save her life. Uh, but before they arrived on the side, they didn't have any weapons to shoot the plane down. Uh, so, but anyway, but by the time they got to where Flight 93 was, it had already crashed. And by the way, her nickname then, uh, she was nicknamed after that, Lucky Penny, uh, because she didn't have to basically give her life uh, for that. Mm -hmm. But my point is, if they had shot down Flight 93, I think everybody watching this would go, that was a tragedy. I think very few people would have said that that was innately immoral, that killing those innocent people, because except for the three, I think there was three terrorists on board, except for the three terrorists on board, the rest of the people on Flight 93 were innocent. They weren't guilty of doing anything deserving of death. But I dare say the overwhelming majority of people viewing this, uh, if not all of them, uh, are going to say it would have been okay to take out Flight 93, even though we would have been killing innocent people. One last thing about children. Um, uh, the, the overwhelming majority of apologists and the overwhelming majority of Christian theologians uh, believes that children are saved. So uh, if children are saved, then re remember it's, it's Christianity 101. In fact, it's really dumbbell Christianity. It's Christianity 60. Uh, it, that um, 
your your the end of your life here on earth is not the end of your existence. That's as basic Christianity as you're ever going to get. It's not the end of your existence that you're going to go on into the eternal kingdom where you will face judgment. And so God is fair and he will be fair to everybody that died, but it is not the end of your existence. It is just, it's just the end of your life here on earth. So anyway, this is a complex topic. I understand that, but I think, like I say, there's a lot of uh, important things for us to consider. And perhaps one of the biggest is it's not always, well, the two biggest are one, it's not always wrong to kill the innocent, although it, it should be avoided wherever possible. And two, uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, this is not, dying here on earth is not the end of our existence. And I think that's a hugely important point. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of helpful points here. So the next question I'd love to talk about is this idea of like the text being hyperbolic, because I think a lot of people would say like, um, when God's commanding you certain things, it's like, well, maybe it's just referring to like, maybe like military combatants or something like that. So um, how would you kind of wrestle with that? A lot of that? people misunderstand Paul Copan's uh, and Matthew Flanagan's argument there. And I also write about one of my blogs is on hyperbole. And if you look in the, if you look in the comments, Paul Copan, who is the, you know, I mean, the originator, as far as I know, of the hyperbole argument, uh, actually comments and th says, th and thank me for making sure that everybody understood the issues correctly. Uh, yeah. Because because they do not, Paul Copan and Matthew Flanagan uh, believe uh, that God did order the killing of children. They just think that overall, there mm -hmm. might have been some hyperbole. Mm -hmm. uh, once you agree that God ordered the killing of children, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not opposed out of hand to saying that sometimes that some of the things that were said, you know, like, like, and they use an example like this, you know, in a football game, we say we slaughtered the other side. Well, we don't mm -hmm. actually mean that, you know, I mean, they weren't actually slaughtered. We didn't cut them to pieces and hang them up as pieces of meat. Um, uh, so uh, I don't get off into that very much because it's not very important. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do misunderstand uh, Matthew Flanagan and, and Paul Copan because they do not believe uh, or they, they, they say straight out, yes, God did order the kid killing of children and no, that wasn't hyperbole. So the hyperbole question doesn't really get you that far, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really helpful. So I have one more question for you, Dr. Jones. And if there's any, uh, if there's anyone that has questions for you to ask those, um, but one, like the probably the most dominant thing here is like the question of like who people who may say this is a moral problem. Like there's this question of like, could a perfect God really command the killing of say like a three-year-old child or a baby or like something like that. Um, Cause it seems like, you know, like a lot of people would say that there is some sort of tension here with regards to like this kind of God commanding something to a child like this or something like this. So yeah. Yeah, you know, that's funny because it kind of misses out on the larger context of what's going on in, in the universe. Uh, God ordered the entire human race to die. Uh, everybody's going to die. Everybody watching this, you're going to die. In fact, that's why I wrote a book on death, to deal on how people deal with death. Atheists really struggle, by the way, contrary to their boasts and their bravado. And I go through how, I go through how atheists are trying to deal with death. Uh, we're all going to die. Um, and, and the Lord is the one who decides when we're going to die. Again, I say to that, remember with death and this is as basic a Christianity. It's not like I'm just pulling this out of the air. This is as basic a Christianity as you can get. Your physical death here does not end your existence. 
And that, I just, I don't know how to make it any more plain than that. But yeah, sure, God has determined when everyone will die. Whether you die at six weeks old or six months old or 66 years old, God has sentenced you to death. And so what you need to do is do what it says in John 3, 16, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, you know, he came to give us eternal life, but not eternal life on planet Earth. And frankly, your physical death isn't that important. Jesus said to his disciples, do not fear him who can kill the body. And after that has nothing more than he can do. He says, rather fear him who after the body is killed can cast the soul into hell. He says, yes, I tell you, fear him. And I get, when I hear that, I go, I hear you, Jesus. Uh, you know, I mean, you're in Jesus considered opinion. Your physical death isn't that important. Why? Because you're in you're going to live forever and ever and ever, one way or another. And so, anyway, I that's what I would. That's a, just an outline of what I would say to those people. Mm. Yeah, that's super helpful. So I appreciate that. So what we'll do now is do a little bit of Q and A. So that's at least one question. Um, so we'll have like ten minutes or so of Q and A. Um, but we have a question here from Jonah, which says, um, "Are the Canaanite children just recipients of capital punishment for their parents' sins?" You referred to, I think, this is earlier when you referred to like, um, yeah. like the destruction of the Canaanites being capital punishment. Um, so yeah, do you have any thoughts here, Doctor Jones? I don't think that they were uh, capitally punished, uh, unlike their parents who were capitally punished. I think that they were they were their lives were taken simply because they would be there was no other good choice. Uh, you either, like I say, had to adopt them or you had to kill them or you were going to allow them to be exposed to the elements and the animals, which would be an even worse way to die. Uh, and so, again, I would refer everybody to uh, Flight 93. Uh, you know, in warfare, it's not just Flight 93 in warfare. You're all, you know, I mean, you try hard not to kill civilians. You do, but you always kill civilians. Uh, I mean, sooner or later, I mean, sometimes you just blunder like we did in Afghanistan. I mean, that was just a blunder. We we only killed, we only killed civilians. Uh, that was a blunder. However, uh, in, in almost every war, and the war has a good purpose, often, not always, not always. Uh, the war often has a legitimate and honest purpose. Think of Germany. But we weren't, we weren't going to be able to defeat Germany, who was annihilating all the Jews, who was doing their best to destroy all the Jews. We weren't able going to do it without killing some civilians. This is just the way it works. And so uh, I think in a very real sense, then, these children's deaths were just collateral damage because there was no, no other good way of dealing with the situation. Mm. Okay, we have one more question from Jonah, which says... Um, <clears throat> Why wasn't the historicity of the Old Testament mentioned in any of the major Christian creeds? So maybe this is the question, um, maybe answer this and talk about like, like how, like the question of the historicity of the Old Testament, like understanding the importance of like getting these narratives right. Like, what are your thoughts here, Dr. Jones? Well, not mentioned in a creed, it wouldn't have occurred to them. Uh, I mean, uh, that would be like when it came to, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence or whatever we said, and everyone has a right to breathe. Uh, I mean, back then there was that wasn't something that was questioned uh, by the people. And really, this is a 20th century thing, uh, not even a 19th century thing. This is a 20th century thing. We're really smart now. We know so much and we're able to go back and go, well, this is not reliable. It wouldn't it just wouldn't have occurred to them any more than, you know, Bart Ehrman complained that free will isn't taught in the Bible. 
And I responded to Ehrman and said, you know, the Bible doesn't need to teach free will any more than when Joshua was commanded the men to circle Jericho, that he said to them, um, don't forget that walking means to put one foot in front of the other. It just simply it just simply wouldn't have occurred to them to put that in a creed because it, it was a given. Okay. Well, Dr. Jones, we had a really good time here. Lots of uh, important topics and things to think about. So do you have any kind of like last thoughts or things you didn't get to say before we start to wrap things up here? Yeah, I think that we, you know, I encourage those who are looking at this to one, look at your own sin and look at the sins of those around you and ask yourself, am I bothered by this? Uh, because uh, an awful lot of people just aren't. And that's why I go through you know, I mean, doc, there's a Dr. Paul Okami who was uh, at UCLA and uh, he's, I don't remember what university he's at now, but he was at UCLA for years. And he said, it's not always wrong to have sex. That he didn't, excuse me, let me get this right. He says, I, I, I've seen that children are not always uh, harmed by having sex with them, those that have sex with them. Uh, you know, I mean, that we live in a society that is saying that rape and bestiality and uh, even rape. Uh, there's a book out entitled Harmful to Minors. And, and the woman who wrote that book said that rape isn't, you know, that it was considered to be acceptable in certain cultures. Well, that's what? Really? Huh? What? Um, that's not acceptable in the U.S. culture. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and it shouldn't be. Uh, but uh, I just think that we, we need to come to this and, not, and realize that it's our own sin. The fact that we commit the sin, we, we at least, even if we're not committing the same sins of the Canaanites, we're not opposed to those who commit the sins of the Canaanites. Uh, most relativists today will go, oh, well, yeah, they have sex with animals. I wouldn't do it. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just it's I wouldn't do it. And uh, so anyway, I think that I would just say come to the scripture with humility uh, and remember that your physical existence here is not the end of your life. You are going to live forever. And you're, before that, you're going to be judged. And then you're going to live forever in suffering or you're going to live ever in, in God's eternal kingdom where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But you're going to go on in one of those two areas. Uh, if that isn't true, Christianity is a false religion. But if you've already decided Christianity is a false religion, then what's the point of, you know, why are we even talking? Because you've already assumed that it's not true anyway. Uh, but I, I would say, of course, that Jesus really was raised from the dead, that this is re really is a fact of history. Uh, and there really is a God in the universe. And he's coming back to judge the world. And so we, uh, like I say, the children and whatever who have passed, who died, uh, they're going to be standing before him. And I dare say, like with a majority of theologians and apologists, that children are saved. Mm. Um, I'm sorry that I asked for concluding marks because we had one more question that I totally missed, um, Dr. Jones, but I'm sure we can fit that in um, right now. So Levi said, um, most Muslims use the genocide commanded by God in the Old Testament um, or like the conquest as an argument to defend the violent acts committed by Muhammad to take over Mecca. Um, so how would you respond to this, Dr. Jones? That Islam is a false religion. And uh, uh, that's how I would start, as it's a false religion. Also, people have said, so if God ordered me to kill children, would I do it? No, I wouldn't. What? Why not? Because that's against everything that we know. This is not a theocracy. We don't live in a theocracy. That was a theocracy. Uh, Islam is a false religion. And the reason I say, and I'll tell you, it, where did they get the idea? For instance, they don't believe that Jesus uh, died on the cross. Most atheists 
most, listen to me, most atheists think that Jesus died on the cross. But Muhammad comes along, you know, five centuries later and says, no, he didn't. I got a revelation. It's not true. Well, why should we believe him? Uh, anyway, it's just, that's, a, that's a false religion. But we need to understand the context of what was happening with Israel. Uh, the context was is that um, this was a theocracy. This is a uh, something that was sui generis means it's in the category all by itself. Uh, that that God is saying, "I'm I'm going to drive these people out because of their sinfulness." And uh, if you don't like it, well, you know, tough taquitos, uh, because the king, the the king of kings and the Lord of lords is still coming back, and you're going to be judged too. Well, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your effort, like in looking at like a difficult topic like this. There's a lot to try to understand. So I do have a link down below your website with the link to like your blogs on the topic and you mentioned your article um, and things like that. So all kinds of re resources that people can find you and uh, things like that. So thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really a pleasure to talk with you. And yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Very good. Thank you, Zach. And I'm thankful for all the ministry that you're doing. Keep it up. Yeah. And thank you to um, Levi and Jono and Jeremy and everyone else who tuned in. We wish you the best. Um, and if you're new here, always encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. Um, but that's it for today. We'll see you next time. So thank you, Dr. Jones, one last time and God My bless. pleasure. All right.